1: This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. State lawmakers are introducing a bill that would give public schools a deadline for reopening campuses. The effort comes amid rising concerns about the effects of distance learning on kids. KQED's Vanessa Roncaño reports.
2: Beginning March 1st, schools that have the OK to open under state and county health orders would have two weeks to put their plan into action under the legislation. Union leaders like California Teachers Association President Toby Boyd have been raising concerns about how schools can afford to meet safety conditions like contact tracing and student testing. Schools should be open, but only when it's safe. One infectious outbreak and one death of any child would be too much, and especially on my watch. But Dr. Jean Noble says public health data supports reopening schools. She directs the COVID response for the UCSF Emergency Department. Everybody worries about COVID cases, but they don't see the numbers of what's happening to our young people. Like a huge spike in children reporting suicidal thoughts. Noble argues schools aren't keeping kids home for their own good. They're closed to protect
3: teachers. And it's not that teachers shouldn't be protected. Of course they should. But we have a lot of creative solutions for getting kids back, even if teachers
2: stay remote. Under the proposed legislation, local school leaders would still determine what in-person education looks like. And they could still opt to offer a mix of in-person and distance learning. For the California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancaño.
1: California is launching a new smartphone app to let people know when they've been in close contact with someone who tests positive for COVID 19. KQED Science reporter Laura Clivens has more. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention defines close contact as spending 15 minutes or more within six feet of another person. The new app is called CA Notify. The state developed it with Google and Apple. Governor Gavin Newsom said the tool is voluntary and anonymous.
0: This is not contact tracing. This is notification technology. You can choose to allow people that you have been in contact with or have been in contact with you to be notified of potential exposure.
1: In his briefing, Newsom also announced that San Francisco's top health officer, Dr. Tomas Aragon, will lead the state's Department of Public Health. The state's previous public health director resigned abruptly last summer. For The California Report, I'm Laura Clivens. Three Foster Farms facilities are dealing with several COVID-19 cases this morning. One is a large chicken processing plant that was the site of an outbreak this summer that resulted in nine deaths and almost 400 infections. The California Report's Alex Hall has more.
3: Reports of the most recent COVID-19 cases at a Foster Farms plant in Fresno surfaced last week. Fresno County's Director of Public Health, Dave Pomaville, says the county was notified several employees had tested positive.
4: Foster
5: Farms had I think three or four positives and they implemented a testing program that had all their employees or many of them tested um, and they've identified a, a significant number of additional positives
3: In nearby Merced County, public health officials have added Foster Farms' sprawling Livingston plant to its list of outbreaks again. An outbreak at the same plant earlier this year, which Merced County's health director called one of the deadliest COVID workplace outbreaks in the state, resulted in the facility temporarily shutting down. Ana Padilla, executive director of UC Merced's Community and Labor Center, says it's unclear what changes foster farms made after that outbreak. Is there a Cal-OSHA ongoing inspection at the Livingston plant? There hasn't been any citations yet, and so you know, why there's a new outbreak after apparently getting things under control is something that, you know, is of concern. Jacques Laval, president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union Local, which represents about a 1,000 workers at one of the plants in Fresno, said the union is deeply concerned for the safety of its members and is monitoring the situation. Foster Farms did not respond to repeated requests for information about the outbreaks. For The California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Let's go to Silicon Valley now, where Uber has struck a deal that effectively hands the keys
1: to its self-driving car division over to startup Aurora Innovation. Once described as a critical part of Uber's business, the deal involves Uber making a $400 million investment in Aurora, whose CEO Chris Ermson joins us this morning. Hi, Chris.
5: Hi, hey, Lily. How's it going?
1: Good. It's good to have you on the show. Your is being valued at $10 billion in this transaction.
5: That, that is the, the value that uh, they're investing this money at. You know, I think about it really much more about the team that we're putting together, the technology we're building, you know, and the impact we're going to be able to have in the world, delivering on our mission to make the roads safer, make more accessible, make it less expensive to get people and goods through the world. So, you know, uh, we don't focus on that number, but we're excited about the team and the progress.
1: How does this deal supercharge your efforts?
5: In in a number of ways. So, you know, we've been building Aurora for the last four years. Um, Through this deal, we're going to bring in an incredible group of people who have been working on this technology for the last five or six years. You know, they've demonstrated an incredible amount of grit and tenacity uh, in recovering from what was pretty tumultuous period of time for them. They've built some really exciting technology. We're looking forward to seeing that technology and the Aurora technology come together. And that'll help us accelerate to market. And as we enter market, the the partnership we're going to have with Uber will provide another great pathway for us to to bring the Aurora driver to market and, and, you know, serve more people and build our business.
1: And you just mentioned Uber has had some difficulty in this space. I mean, this is it's a company that is still trying to fix its image. And this particular unit within Uber had a death occur on its watch in 2018. Did Uber's track record concern you at all as you embarked on this deal?
5: I think the most important thing here is to not define the team by a period of time that, that everyone can look at it and say was, was not great, right, was tumultuous, and look at really what they've done since then, right? And, and the people that, that have kind of worked hard to push this technology forward and think about how to do it in a thoughtful way are really committed to the values that, that we have at Aurora in delivering the technology safely. I think if you look at what they have, the technology they've built, much like Aurora, they're fairly heads down. And so out for the outside, it's hard to see that. We're excited about what we see. And then the work that they have put into building a safety culture, being the first company to release uh, a safety case of why their technology is ultimately safe and the work they've been building Uh, doing and building their safety management system. This is all great work that complements what we've been doing at Aurora. And we look forward to bringing our work on safety case and our work on safety management system together with them. And, you know, uh, it's just, I think it's going to be very exciting going forward.
1: What do you think this deal says about what's going on in Silicon Valley right now? How, um, you know, deals are being done? What Consolidation might look like going forward in the years ahead, because we're in a really different place now, especially in the self-driving space, than we were five years ago, where we had some really ambitious timelines that we were talking about that haven't necessarily come to pass.
5: Yeah, I think I think there's two things. So, when we founded Aurora, we understood that consolidation was going to be what would happen in this space. It's natural in a new area for there to be a lot of a lot of teams exploring that, and over time, some of them succeed and some of them. Make progress, but then you know don't ultimately get across the finish line. And we wanted to position Aurora to be a place where we could build the culture, build the the organization, the leadership, where great teams could come together and, and you know pursue that mission. And so we've been able to to do that, uh, I think, which is exciting. And then one of our core values at Aurora has been focus. Right, do the thing that we think we can be best in the world in and that is building the Aurora driver and this capability to move vehicles safely through the world. And I think what you're seeing in other businesses, like Uber, for example, they're also uh, embracing that mantra of focus and, and you know what is their cap- core capability, what can they do best? And then together with the, the partnership that we'll have with them over time, you know, we'll be able to run faster together because of that. They get to do what they're best at, we do what we're best at, and we support each other in growing our businesses and, and serving the public.
1: All right, Chris Ermsson, CEO of Aurora Innovation. Thank you so much.
5: Thanks so much, Lily. Take
3: care. Hi, I'm Tyler Foggett. Join me and my colleagues as we go beyond the headlines and deepen your understanding of the forces shaping our world today on The Political Scene, a newly updated podcast from The New Yorker. With episodes three times each week, The Political Scene accesses the sharpest minds in politics for insight and analysis about everything from abortion rights to the war in Ukraine. Make sure you're following The Political Scene, available now wherever you get your podcasts.
5: Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, and I hope you'll join me on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Every Thursday, I'm getting the inside take from the best reporters in the country,
1: Bank of America has revealed to California lawmakers that as much as $2 billion in unemployment benefits may have been stolen from the state. The California Report's Mary Franklin Harvin has
2: more. Bank of America says nearly 350,000 unemployment accounts have been hacked. The fraud includes identity theft and stolen Bank of America debit cards, which the state's Employment Development Department uses to distribute benefits. Late last month, A group of county DAs announced an investigation into tens of thousands of fake unemployment claims filed under the names of incarcerated people across the state. Originally, DAs estimated as much as a billion dollars stolen, but these new figures from B of A expand the scope of the fraud. Though it's still unclear from the letter just how much of the estimated $2 was stolen through the prison and jail ring. Lawmakers are expected to introduce new legislation that could increase oversight of EDD. For the California report, I'm Mary Franklin Harvin.
1: Here in San Francisco, oral arguments were heard yesterday in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals over whether videotapes of the trial that led to the legalization of same-sex marriage in California should be released. The California Report, Saul Gonzalez has more.
0: John Ollendorf, an attorney for Proposition 8 backers, argued that the judge who presided over the original case promised to keep the tape sealed.
5: The two uh, promises that Judge Walker made Uh, uh, were binding commitments, were unequivocal commitments, uh, that uh, the video recordings that he made would not see the light of day.
0: But in their questioning, the three-judge panel expressed skepticism that the promises were meant to be permanent. Chris DeSalt, an attorney for Prop 8 opponents, said the tapes have nothing on them that hasn't already been in the court record, so no one would be harmed by their release. This may well be the least confidential sealed document that you will ever confront in your judicial career. A coalition of news organizations led by KQED says the release of the videotapes is required by the First Amendment.
1: That was the California Report's Saul Gonzalez. A survey from USC shows that even as public health officials have ramped up calls to restrict activities in recent weeks, at least in L.A., the percentage of people staying home hasn't changed much since June. UCSF infectious disease specialist Monica Gandhi joins us now. And Dr. Gandhi, a lot of the state is in lockdowns approaching what we had in March. Given how much we've
4: learned about COVID-19 since then, does that
1: make sense to you?
4: It doesn't make sense to me in the same way that it did in March. So when March happened, we had no idea what was going on. It was terrifying. The spread was rapid. We didn't understand the nature of this virus And there was a lot to learn. And complete lockdown was absolutely indicated because we didn't know if it was spread by surfaces, by fomites, by, um, you know, is it radioactive even? I mean, there was something about it that was spreading so quickly. So what have we learned? We've learned so much, actually, about the virus. We've learned that it does spread very quickly because it spreads from asymptomatic individuals. Even when you feel well, you can have shedding of this virus from your nose and mouth, and it can go out and infect others. That's what led to the widespread universal masking recommendation, which is profoundly unusual for this country. And so then we learned other things. We learned that outdoors is safer than indoors. Ventilation matters when you have a mixture of airborne and droplet spread infection. It mattered to keep people apart, that distancing, and it also mattered to do hand hygiene. Those for non-pharmaceutical interventions, masking, distancing, hand hygiene, ventilation, all of those come in play to keep people more safe. And so taking what we learned, when we want to reduce spread, what we have to do is close down things where there can be unsafe spread, but be cognizant that the public is aware that we have more knowledge about vaccination outside, what's safe, what's not safe. So the arbitrariness of shutting down completely can be really disturbing to the public, and you don't want to erode trust.
1: You know, it's been also interesting, you're a relative newcomer to social media. Um, it looks yeah, like you joined Twitter in April. And I wonder, you know, as a as a relative newcomer to that forum, how do you view the way that people are taking in this information? Because I think that's really important as we think about how to message around this
4: issue. You know, I think, um, so I, yeah, social media has been a very interesting experience for me. And um <laughs> I I do sometimes get off and I I may have to get off now for a while because (laughs) I also want to do my work. Um, But it's not just that. It's this idea that I seem to be this message seems to be appealing to a wide range of people that we want to think about a harm reduction approach. But I don't want it to be misunderstood. I don't want it to be misunderstood in the sense that um, uh, coronavirus is really uh, scary. It is a really true viral illness that causes uh, suffering and death. And uh, we have to do what it takes to minimize suffering um, and to minimize spread. So Mm -hmm. that's the message. However, the nuances get lost in whatever the tweet length is uh, that you can send out and and nuances (laughs) get lost. You message to someone acknowledging their pain, acknowledging their sense of loss and acknowledging that they may choose to not only consider the pathogen when they decide make decisions for themselves. There are counties that are messaging that way, by the way. I mean, San Mateo is messaging in a different way, um, which is acknowledging that kind of pain, um, I think. And so it's, it is possible within even the nuances of different counties in our system to message differently. Okay.
1: Dr. Gandhi, thank you so much, as always, for taking some time. It's great to talk to you.
4: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: And that's our show for this Tuesday. And a quick note, we're celebrating the California Report's 25th anniversary tonight. Event details are on my Twitter page. I am at Lily Jamali. Have a great day, everyone. Support for
0: the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org adaptingcare. California Health Care Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care, on the web at chcf.org voices, and Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, Focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together on the web at schmidtfutures.com. Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest.
2: Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it.